Hi, and welcome to the National Shrine of the Divine Mercy for our continuing series, Explaining the Faith. We are so happy that you have been able to join us this week. We are continuing all new material, and I think better than even last week when we started the discussion on what is hell like and how to avoid going there. Um, I kind of set the stage, but now we're really going to get into, I'm really, really, really thinking that this talk talk here is going to help you understand better um, what you need to know. And um, as you saw in your slide, this will be part two of two on what is hell like and also how to avoid it. You know, I wanted to start by saying today is the feast day of St. Rita, and she has been a very special one of my uh, holy dozen, um, divine dozen saints. She was a huge one for me in my formation. Today is her feast day, and we need to pray through her intercession. I just got an email this morning. I have not been able to verify if it's true. It just was sent to me an email that 20 churches were burned down in India yesterday as a persecution against Christians there. So let us pray if this is true. I have no reason to believe it's not, unfortunately. Let us pray um, for these Christians and the end of this persecution. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. St. Rita, patron of impossible causes, pray for us in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, thank you, everybody, for joining us. As we talked about last week, we had given you some overview of why hell exists and what you need to know. We're going to go deeper, and I think even a better explanation this week. And so it's different, it's new, and informative in the sense that I think every single person needs to know this. So please um, stay with us, and we will try to tackle this difficult but um, need-to-know subject. All right, now, God doesn't send anyone to hell. God, is God going to condemn me to hell? No, we, our choices choose it. And I know that sounds very strange, but let's look at our first slide. All right, hell by definition, according to the catechism, is the state of definitive self-exclusion from communion with God and the blessed. Okay, we talked about that last week. This is just a reminder of that. And this is something that we have to realize. It's a self-exclusion. So, so, because why is that? Because people can't fathom how hell could be a reality if God is truly love and truly mercy. All right, if God is all loving and all merciful, there couldn't be a hell. Actually, it's the opposite. If there is no hell, God is a monster. What are you saying, Father? Yes, if God, if there is no hell, God is a monster. Why? Because he would overwhelm our freedom. He would control us and he would make it so that we could only choose him. That's a monster. 
If somebody forces you to only do their way and you have no say in the matter, they're a monster. But God is good. He's not a tyrant, right? He gives us the freedom so we can choose him or not, to love or not. God won't make our decision for us. He's not a communist. <laughs> He's not going to force you, right? He's going to give you freedom. Those who take away your freedom, the Marxism ideology, those are not what God is. God is not a tyrant. God's greatest gift is free will, but with that free gift, <clears throat> with that gift of free will, comes the possibility that we will turn our backs on him and not love our neighbor, hate our neighbor. This violating the two commandments, love God, love our neighbor. If we violate that, we've separated ourselves from him and we have chosen eternal separation from him, which is hell. All right, the catechism continues in 1861 and it says mortal sin is a radical possibility of human freedom, as is love itself. That's very interesting. So what it's saying is, with the gift of this freedom comes the, the possibility that we could fall into mortal sin. And that's the only way our soul is lost, is to die in an unrepentant state of mortal sin. All right, so without freedom, there is no real love. And so God gave us freedom, and with that, the choice to choose him or not. So the existence of hell has to exist if God is truly merciful and loving and gives us freedom. Freedom is the greatest sign of love. If you love someone, let them go. And if they come back to you, it was meant to be, right? Freedom plays a factor then in mortal sin. All right, and the only way to hell is to die, as I said, in an unrepentant state of mortal sin. Let's look at our next slide. What does the catechism say about this? All right, let's continue 1861. Mortal sin results in the loss of charity and the privation of sanctifying grace, meaning state of grace. It is not if if it is not redeemed by repentance and God's forgiveness, it causes exclusion from Christ's kingdom and the eternal death of hell. For our freedom has the power to make choices forever with no turning back. Wow, that's a wake-up call. All right, so God has given man his entire life on earth to make this decision. You will be given your entire life. So the time for choosing is now in this life. And the choice we make has eternal consequences. All right. Our eternity is sealed at the time of our death. All right. Now, God, we believe he comes to the soul and gives them a moment at that moment of death that your prayers even today, years later, can help them at that moment. But the soul is sealed Make your choices worth it. Are the choices for pleasure, sex, money, power, are they worth the loss of our soul? Jesus says, what good is it to gain the whole world but to lose your soul? All right. It's serious because our choices affect not only us but others as well. You abort a baby, you have now affected that baby and their babies and their babies for eternity. And the possibility of their eternal fate. 
All right, so consider the two texts. I'm going to show you from the Old Testament <clears throat> and the New Testament. All right, let's look at the first one. This is Jesus talking, God talking. I'm sorry, this is God talking from the Old Testament. He says, if I say you shall surely die and you give him no warning nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way in order to save his life, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the wicked and he does not turn from his wickedness or from his wicked ways, he shall die in his iniquity, but you will have saved your life. That's Ezekiel. Very important passage. What is God saying here? He's saying, <clears throat> I'm giving you a way to help save your brother. And you need to warn him. Now, it's always got to be done with love. We don't point the fingers. But to warn with love is a work of mercy. Admonish the sinner. Now, let's look at the New Testament. <clears throat> let's look at our new, next slide. This is 1 Timothy 4.16. Take heed to yourself and to your teaching. Hold to that, for by doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. This is what's going on. This is our Lord telling us to assist our brothers, lead them on the right path. It's not merciful to say, well, I can't help it. The junior is cohabitating and uh, not going to church and uh, doesn't believe in God. I can't help that because I will offend him if I say anything. No, it's not merciful to watch them go down the wrong road. It's merciful to help them get on the right road. Now, <clears throat> Ezekiel... <clears throat> seems to indicate that first passage I read, that if we don't evangelize, if we choose not to evangelize someone God places into our life, it may be that this will have been the last opportunity the person had to choose God. And we were it. We were their last hope. And God put him into your life as the last hope. Both Ezekiel and St. Paul, the two passages I just read, remind us of another reason why we need to evangelize. Save our own souls. Well, I'm going to evangelize them because, yeah, I, I kind of want them to be saved. But you know what? If they don't choose it, that's their fault. No, because it's also your soul on the line. This is a wake-up call. Educating the ignorant, admonishing the sinner are spiritual works of mercy. We will be judged on the last day by these works of mercy, so the risks are worth the reward. Or I should say the reward are worth the risks. Wow. All right, now what about some objections? Some say in the Bible, my, one of my sisters was telling me now uh, this morning that some of the Protestant uh, sects are now teaching that the hell's not eternal. And a lot of Christians are now believing this. I got emails from my first talk telling me that God would never, ever, ever create something like hell. It's actually his mercy. And we'll talk more about that. Some say the Bible doesn't teach that there's a hell. Yes, it does. And well, at least, Father, not an eternal hell. Well, yes, it does. The truth is most of what we know about hell and eternity comes from the very lips of Jesus. His very lips. 
John Paul II said, quote, the words of Christ are univocal. In Matthew's gospel, Christ speaks clearly of those who will go to eternal punishment. It's Matthew 25. Catechism, let's go back to that, 1035, says the teaching of the church affirms the existence of hell and its eternity. Most importantly, scripture itself could hardly be more clear. So let's take a look at an example. Let's go to our next slide. This is Revelation 2010. And the devil who had decided, deceived, I'm sorry, the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet were and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. You know, Revelation 20, 14 through 15, right after that, John declares that humans will go to the same place. All right, what about our next slide? This is Matthew 25. Jesus says as heaven represents eternal life, hell also represents eternal punishment. Let's, what does it say? Then he will say to those at his left hand, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And they, this is the righteous, will go away to, unrighteous, I'm sorry. And they, the unrighteous, will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So the Bible says here that there is a second death, a lake of fire. We die our first death on earth, and then the Bible says there will be a second death, a lake of fire. And if anyone's name is not found within the book of life, he will be put into that lake of fire. So we determine our fate. All right, one more slide here. All right, Revelation 21, 8. This says as well that includes us that if we die in mortal sin, quote, but as for the cowardly, the faithless, the polluted, as for murderers, fornicators, sorcerers, idolaters, and liars, their lot shall be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. All right, now I'm saying all this not to scare you. I'm saying all this that out of love, we can turn back to the very source of love. God is goodness itself. Why do we not want to be united with that? And if we choose not to be, this is what happens. It's not by God condemning us. It's because we consciously make the choice not to be with him. Nobody can force you into that. Not even God himself. This is why it's freedom. Free will. The great gift. Now, the Catholic dogma sometimes misuses the biblical text for hell. Now, what do I mean by that? People understanding of Catholic dogma is sometimes misunderstood. Let's look at our next slide. All right, hell. The word sometimes translated as hell is Hades, which is Greek, or Sheol, which is the Hebrew. You've probably heard that. Sheol, Hades, hell. All right, Sheol and Hades generally represent something different. They are a place of the dead. The place where those who died before Jesus went to wait, like a waiting room. All right, 
in the Old Testament, it was both for the righteous and the unrighteous. It wasn't hell as we know it. It wasn't the hell of the damned. So when we say in the creed, Jesus descended into hell, we don't mean hell of the damned. They cannot be saved. There's no reason Jesus would have went down into hell of the damned to bring souls out. Souls in the hell of the damned cannot get out. Jesus went to the hell of the dead or the place of the dead, not the hell of the damned. That is, as we see in Greek is Hades, in Hebrew, Sheol. So what is the hell of the damned? Gehenna. Gehenna is the word used for hell in Catholic dogma in scripture for eternal damnation. Let's look at this picture, the next slide. This is the hell of the damned, Gehenna. And it came, that picture that I'm showing you is from an actual place in Jerusalem. That actual place in Jerusalem was a garbage dump, an incinerator, incinerator that they would burn. And you could smell the smelling and they even put sacrificed babies. It was even a place of sacrificed children. And you could smell the burning flesh. It was a, a place in place there on the outskirts of Jerusalem. And Jesus referred to this. This was the place of the damned. Gehenna is used in, in, in this sense. Of the 12 times Gehenna is mentioned in the New Testament, 11 come from the lips of Jesus and refer to hell. The truth is, the biblical text is very clear when it comes to this reality. It is a reality. Let's look at our next slide. So, are these flames of hell literal? There it says, lake of fire. That's what the actual Bible says. Are they real? All right, let's talk about this. Both the joy of heaven and the pains of hell are completely unimaginable in this lifetime. We cannot even begin to imagine the joys of heaven. Paul said, eye is not seen, ear is not heard, the joys that await you in heaven. Likewise, the pains of hell are unimaginable to us in this lifetime. The flames of fire are simply the most painful things that we can imagine on this earth. The reason they say flames of fire is because that's one of the most painful ways to die. Because it isn't instant. It's, 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 it's an awful suffering. So the flames of fire of hell are not necessarily literal. Why? Because souls in hell don't have their bodies yet. So how the souls in hell could be facing literal fires when they don't have their bodies yet? They will, because after the general judgment, it's coming. It is true then that the nature, what is the nature of the pains of hell then? So if it's looked at as just this most extreme separation of God, we could get our answer in the Catechism 1472. Let's look what it says. Next slide. These two punishments, purgatory temporal, hell eternal, must not be conceived as a must not be conceived as a kind of vengeance inflicted by God from without, but is following from the very nature of sin. And we'll say in a minute, from within. Oh, wow, wait a minute here. The pains are quite real quite literal, and consist 
of two things. The literal pain is a pain of loss. When you recognize what I could have had in Jesus, but turned my back on it. The pain of loss is the first, but there's also a pain of sense that will involve the body after the resurrection. So then it becomes more literal. There could be flames in that sense because then we will be united with our body. All right, follow from the very nature of sin. All right, they arise from the inside out, not from the outside in. These pains, you know, C.S. Lewis said, hell is locked from the inside. Again, the catechism emphasizes the fact that hell is primarily a separation from God. And since God is goodness, Hell is a privation of the good. You don't want to be with God. And that lack of goodness, who is God itself, causes this pain. It is an absolute emptiness and isolation beyond anything we can imagine. All right, let's look at this. Mortal sin, then. It ties to that. It said the nature of all this is from sin. All that pain that the souls endure is from sin. Mortal sin is the rejection of the love of God and neighbor. It's complete selfishness. Ultimately, the damned will get what they wanted. Themselves. And yourself is brokenness, not goodness itself. Only God is goodness itself. We without God are utter misery and brokenness. So if you're left with yourself and only yourself, what are you going to have? Utter brokenness for eternity. It is said that a man will go insane if he is kept in isolation for too long because human beings are ordered towards communion with God and others. You know, when... um. <clears throat> I would see these documentaries on, on Vietnam and World War II. In Vietnam, one of the worst tortures was isolation. And I remember seeing a story of Jeremiah Denton. And he was held a prisoner of war in Vietnam. And, and they would isolate him. And all the prisoners that came back said, by far, you can ask this about prisoners too in our modern day prisons. The greatest punishment is isolation. Being left to yourself in time, you will go insane. And so we don't want to be left to ourselves. That's what hell is. It's yourself because your whole life you live selfishness. You, God will give you what you want in the end, yourself. But yourself without God is pure brokenness and misery. We don't want to be left to ourselves. We want to be like that little child in humility who is dependent upon God, his father, his Abba. Hell will be that isolation that will lead anyone to insanity. The problem is for the condemned, they will never lose their faculties. So it will continue on and on. They will be fully cognizant of their pain and isolation. You don't want to go there. Some may ask, well, what about the revelation of St. Faustina who talked about in hell, you'll have the company of the devil. At least that's some company. <laughs> no, you don't want that company. All right. That's like the worst possible bedfellow. You don't want that. All right. Being part, this will be in hell. She said, 
She said this. Now, how does this square with isolation? I just told you, you'll be left to yourself. What about the fact that the devil's there? Well, at least maybe I'll be bad, but at least I'll have company in the bad. No, the isolation that we are talking about doesn't necessarily mean there will not be other persons present. There will be other souls damned and they will attack each other. They will turn on each other and you will still be ultimately left alone. You know what it's like? It's like being at a party. At one time or another, we've all felt this. You've been in some situation somewhere where you're with a ton of people, but you felt totally alone. This is why we don't go to parties by ourselves. We want to go with somebody we know. Sometimes you've been left at a party, you feel completely isolated. And so that's what we're talking about here. It's tormented. It's tormenting to feel that loneliness. All right, now let's go to our next slide. Is hell a real place? Or is it a state of being? All right, hell is primarily like heaven, a state of being. I talked about this in my heaven talk. But souls will have bodies after the resurrection. So they will, in a sense, have location as well. Thus, we can say hell is a place in a particular sense. But most of all, it's a state of being. In fact, we could say the same thing as I just mentioned about heaven. Both heaven and hell are not places in the sense that you can leave it and come back. Like your hometown or, or whatever. All right. As a state of being, heaven and hell are present where? Heaven is present where the saints are and hell is present where the damned are. This is why Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is on earth. Where? In the hearts. In your hearts. Well, wait a minute. Which hearts? The hearts of the virtuous, the hearts of the saints, the hearts of those who follow our Lord and are trying, even if we're faulty and we fall, get back up as long as we're trying. That's where heaven is found, in our hearts. So where is heaven? Where the saints are. Where is hell? Where the damned are. And so if we're living saints or striving to be saints on this earth, this earth, heaven is found in our hearts. And then you can bring that heaven to other people. It's hard. Am I saying it's easy? No. We fall all the time. This is why Jesus says this. It's in your heart, even here on earth. All right, next. Here's a very interesting question. How is it possible that the just in heaven will be able to rejoice how is it possible that you will be able to rejoice in heaven for all eternity when you find out that you have loved ones who are in hell for all eternity? I've had people say, Father, if my children are not there, I do not want to go to heaven. And I get that. But heaven says there will be no mourning. There will be no tears. How is this possible? How could the angels and saints rejoice in heaven, as it tells us in Revelation 21, knowing that the damned are not there and suffering for all eternity, as it tells us in Revelation 20? Whoa, this is an interesting question. And the answer, Revelation 14, 11 says, the damned, and well, not the answer yet. This is giving you an idea of the picture. I'm sorry. Revelation 14, 11 gives us an idea of the picture. 
The damned shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the lamb. This means in the presence of God. How in the world could that lead to rejoicing? How could God allow it? We already said, because if he didn't give us the freedom to choose love or not love, he would be a monster. So the existence of hell is mercy. But how could we rejoice when we see it? This sounds crazy. All right. I'm going to turn here to Tim Staples, a good Catholic apologist who gives the answer. And I'm going to show you a video clip in a second. But basically, he says it's like a court case. If your daughter, he says, was assaulted, raped, and murdered by a criminal, and you went to the court case, and the judge says he's free to go, allow him to live a life of joy and happiness, you would scream out, that's unjust. You would say it's just that they have to suffer and be imprisoned. That gives us kind of an idea. At the general judgment, we will know what every person has been done, has done, and that they will have been judged rightly. So the righteous to the, the joys of eternal life, the unrighteous to the lake of fire. They got what they chose. So we will see things with God's eyes. And that's why the blessed will be able to rejoice because justice was done. If a murderer and a rapist of your daughter was allowed to enjoy life for the rest of, of his life in joy and in freedom, you would be like, that's unjust. He deserves to be put in prison and put away. And when he is put in prison, you would say, that's just. You would rejoice in the decision of the court. I've seen victims of families come out and say, thank you for the judge. The judge leveled what was right and just. Don't forget, God is mercy and justice. This isn't justice that he is throwing, which is unmercy. This is justice based on your choices. So let's watch this video of Tim Staples as he explains this much better than I did. <laughs> you know, how can God or how can we be in heaven rejoicing knowing, let's say we have a loved one who is in hell for all eternity? You see that depicted in, in Revelation 14, Revelation 20, you know, the souls of those who are in hell being tormented for all eternity. And then in the same chapter, the saints in heaven rejoicing. Well, here's, here's the key, Aaron, is number one, souls in heaven never mourn. God is not in mourning. God is absolutely and infinitely, to, to say happy, you know, doesn't quite cut it, you know, uh, blessed in a, in a way that we can't even, even fathom. Even in the face of souls who go to hell. And Aaron, here, here's an analogy I use in, in my set that might help you. Imagine if, Aaron, your daughter <clears throat> had been raped and killed by someone, <clears throat> and then you're in the courtroom, and you happen to know that your daughter was raped and killed by this man who's on trial, and then you hear the jury foreman say, not guilty. Aaron, what do you think, what would your reaction be? I would be furious. Yes. I mean, it would be, I, I can't imagine being in that place, but in justice, you, you should exclaim, 
that is not just. That is wrong, right? And now on the flip side, if that person who was guilty was convicted and the jury foreman said, we find the defendant guilty, then you would say that is good. Now, we shouldn't be vengeful and you know about them being locked up for the rest of their lives and whatnot, but we, we should rejoice in justice. And that's the, the closest we can get to understanding that the souls who will finally be damned and the souls who are right now are there because that is absolutely just. And so actually, Aaron, if they were not there, we would say that is not just. And of course, that's impossible because God is infinitely just as well as infinitely mercy. His justice and mercy are one in him. And so that's impossible. We will know and we will be able to rejoice, Aaron, just as the saints in heaven do in the justice. And just as you would rejoice in the rightness, in the justice of the conviction of that murder. Now, the hard part is, Aaron, you and I, but what if it's a loved one? See, we won't think like, you know, justice doesn't go away because it's our relation. We will think like God thinks, and and we will rejoice in justice no matter who that justice is meted out to, no matter who that mercy is meted out to. Does that help at all, Aaron? It does. Okay, so that was Tim Staples, a really solid Catholic apologist that explains it really powerfully well and hopefully gives you an understanding of what I was referencing. Now, another one I always talk about, you always hear me say, is Peter Kreft. Uh, He is a powerful uh, philosopher out of Boston College. Now, he says, and I'm going to quote some from him here. You know, obviously, this we all know this, that more people have abandoned their faith because of the problem of evil. You know, how could a good and loving God allow evil than probably any other reason? And it is certainly the greatest test of our faith and a real temptation to unbelief. People use it as an excuse. That's why I don't have faith. There's no way there could be a God that allows this evil. How could God allow such evil? And why do then bad things happen to good people? I had a family member who used to say that all the time. How then can you explain why why bad things happen to good people? All right. He makes a great point here. He says, if God is the creator of all things and evil is a thing, then God is the creator of evil and he is to blame for its existence. Correct? No. No. Evil is not a created thing. Father, what are you talking about? Look at the newspaper. No, evil is a lack of something. It's a lack of the good, a privation of the good. So when we pull God, who is goodness itself, out of our courts, out of our schools, out of our homes, out of our families, we're taking out goodness itself. When you remove God, what's left is evil. You've heard me say this many times before. All right. But when we choose, the damage is done because we've removed God. Now, like blindness What is blindness? Is blindness a real thing? No, blindness is a privation. It's a lack of vision. Blindness isn't an actual thing. Blindness is a lack of something. Eyes to see clearly. So Peter Kreef goes on. He says, second, the origin of evil is not the creator, but the creatures freely choosing sin and selfishness. 
take away all sin and selfishness, you wouldn't have any issues on earth. It would truly be heaven on earth. There'd be no sin at all. Even the remaining physical evils we deal with, earthquakes, hurricanes, tsunamis, would no longer happen. They would no longer cause damage. Why? Because they are a result of sin. Sin is a disharmony to God's universe. Even these horrible disasters are a result of sin because we put a disharmony into God's universe. All right? It's because the cause of physical evil is from spiritual evil. That's powerful. The cause of suffering is sin. Well, Father, how do you explain a little precious newborn baby? Yes, she's suffering from a disease or deformity because of my sin. My sin. We are part of the body of Christ. Don't think your sin doesn't affect other people. Father, what I do in my bedroom, I mean, one of the most craziest experiences I ever had was a 10th grade girl here on the East Coast during a confirmation course I was training and I mentioned I was trying to teach them about chastity. And she came to me at the break and said, Father, how dare some gray hair old man in Rome tell me what I can do in my bedroom. First of all, she's in 10th grade. We shouldn't be talking about what's going on in her bedroom. Secondly, the whole purpose of that is what's wrong in our mentality of our society today. All right. That sin in your own room affects me. My sin affects you. This is why God wants us to turn away from sin into him. That's the definition of sin, taking your eye off of the creator and putting it on the creature or the created thing. How can spiritual evil, sin, cause physical evil, like suffering and death? Now a human body, a human being, is body and soul. So the body must share in the soul's choices. You're not just a body, you're not just a soul. So when your conscience and your soul choose something, your body is affected. If you choose to eat well, your body's healthy. If you choose to eat bad, your body is not healthy. Same with punishment. If your soul chooses something that deserves punishment, your body will receive that punishment too. It's kind of like getting slapped in the hand for grabbing the cookie out of the cookie jar. Your will, your spirit made the choice to steal that cookie. You got slapped. Your body received the punishment as well as your soul. This is something we don't understand. This is how you teach children. Well, Father, I think that's crazy. No, that's how we teach children. They don't understand the soul or the spirit, yet they're too young, but they can understand a little bit of a discipline. Now, if the origin of evil is free will, and God is the origin of free will, isn't God the origin of evil? Peter Kreeft asked this. No. For instance, are parents the origin of the misdeeds of their children? Are you the origin of the, of the 
drunk driving accident that killed an innocent person because it was sadly, let's say your child. Gosh, I hope this has not happened to anybody. I'm just, please, I'm just trying to illustrate a point. Your child decides to drink and drive and they harm an innocent person. Are you the origin of that evil? Are you the cause of that evil? Nobody would say yes to that. Parents, are they the origin of the misdeeds of their children that they commit just because they're the origin of the children? No. This is like God. Now, I'm talking now an adult child, of course. Now, if, if this was an, a younger child and you were negligent and you gave them the keys to drive at 10 years old and they hurt somebody, now that's different. We're talking about an adult. That's why in the teaching of the church, when you're age of reason, you're now an adult. Sad, not sadly, but kind of interestingly, it's only seven years old in the church. They're saying at seven years old, you become responsible for your actions. I used to see these kids at 15 years old that had taken the life of another person and the courts would say, oh, well, he was just a minor. He didn't know what he was doing. I'm sorry. At 15, 16, 17 years old, I certainly knew well enough what I was doing and I didn't take somebody's life. You knew that was wrong. Now, would we prefer that he make us robots with no free will rather than human beings? No. So what do we do here? We're in a quandary. All right, so let's look at the next slide. God's solution to the problem of evil. How does he defeat evil? How is the defeat of evil? What is it? Let's look at our next slide. The solution is his son, Jesus Christ. Look at that hand holding the crucifix to fight the devil. The Father's love sent his Son to die for us to defeat the power of evil in human nature. That's John 3.16. God so loved the world, he sent his only begotten Son. So how do we get God off the hook for allowing evil? God is not off the hook. Well, wait a minute, Father, what are you talking about? God is the hook. The cross is the hook. How do we get God off the hook for evil? We don't. God is not off the hook. The cross is the hook. That's the point of the crucifix you just saw in that hand. Fighting de the de demons, fighting evil. That's why all exorcisms, let's go back to that slide. Notice that that is talking about the exorcisms. Look there at the bottom of that slide if you can see it. Exorcists tell their story. They're holding the crucifix. The cross is God's part of this practical solution to evil. We are saved through the cross, through the grace of Christ's work of redemption. All right? Did, but what a minute, Father, Jesus did it all. You're saying we have, you know, you're saying that, that, that we have to do it. You crazy Catholics say that you have to do good works. Jesus did it all. Yes, but the Bible says we have to cooperate with that grace. So our part, according to the Bible, is to cooperate with the grace. So repent, believe, be baptized, work with God in fighting evil. How? With love. 
That's why we Catholics believe in works of love, not the law. Works of love. That's why Catholics mean faith and works. People always send me the letters. You think you're going to work yourself into heaven by working at a soup kitchen? No. Faith and works, according to the Catholic, we mean works of love, not the law. Romans 3.28. People pointed out to me when I was in North Carolina. It says you are saved by faith alone and not by works. No, that's not what it says. Martin Luther added the word alone. It says you are saved by faith. We Catholics believe that. And not by works of the law. We Catholics believe that. As James says, faith without works is dead. James 2.24, what kind of works? Love. All right, let's keep going. So what is the key to avoiding hell? Father, you've been telling me all about hell. Now, how do I avoid it? How do I avoid it? Two words. Love and humility. Love and humility. Peter tells us that love covers a multitude of sins. 1 Peter 4, 8. And also, no soul will be in heaven with pride, only humility. Jesus said, unless we are humble like the children, we shall not enter the kingdom of God. Love and humility. So let's go back to the question, why do bad things happen to good people? Father, I still struggle with that. All right, the question makes some assumptions, Peter Kraft tells us. First of all, who's to say that we are all good people, <laughs> right? Without God, we're broken, we're misery. Jesus tells that. That's not me saying that. Don't say, Father, you're being really negative here. I'm not a bad person. No, united to God, you are a great person. Jesus tells St. Faustina, not united to him, without him, separated from him, we're nothing but broken misery. I'm not saying that. That's God himself. I mean, I agree with it, but that's Jesus himself saying it. So please don't write me letters saying that I'm being too negative and calling you a bad person. I'm not. I'm just telling you what Jesus said. These are the words of Christ. The best man who ever lived, Jesus Christ said, no one is good but God alone. Ha, that's a good answer. <laughs> Nobody is good but God alone. Jesus himself said that. So when we say, why do bad things happen to good people? We first got to ask, well, wait a minute. What's it mean to be a good person? The question should not be why do bad things happen to good people, but why do good things happen to bad people? That seems unjust. God's given good things to bad people. If uh, Peter Kreef uses this example, I thought it was kind of funny. If the fairy godmother told Cinderella, right, that she could wear her magic gown until midnight, the question should not be, why can't I wear it till after midnight? Kind of like your kids when you give them the car to use and you tell them to be home by midnight. Well, why can't I come home after midnight? <laughs> the question should be, why do I get to wear it at all? So the child should say, you know what? I'll take the car for whatever I can get. You tell me to be by home by midnight? Okay. I'm still happy that I got it at all. And that's how we should be with God. The best people are the ones who are the most reluctant to call themselves good. Sinners many times think they're saints 
but the saints know that they are sinners. That's what I always say in the confessional, the first thing to people. And they say, Father, I'm so discouraged. I'm broken. I sound like a broken record. I say, praise be God. The first and most important step is that you're here, that you recognize you need mercy. What is the first step of the 12-step programs of Alcoholics Anonymous? You have to admit that you are helpless without God. But with God, I can do all things. That's on the shoe of Stephon Curry. With God, I can do all things, or I can do all things with Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ. This is powerful stuff. Second, he says, who's to say that suffering is all bad? Okay, I know this is a little touchy. Life without any kind of suffering or rep, um, uh, retribution, not retribution, but um, ramifications would produce nothing but a world of spoiled brats. And I think back, I used to get upset with my parents when they would tell me no often. Now I look back, that's the, it's not a bad thing. A child who's never been told no is going to have a very difficult time realizing when he grows up that the world doesn't care. God cares. That's what they have to realize. Suffering can actually be redemptive. Third, he says, who's to say that we have to know God's reasons for doing this? He didn't promise all the answers in this life. We'll understand everything at the general judgment. That's when we'll understand everything. For instance, he says, animals don't always understand us because they don't have the thought process we do. Why should we be able to understand about God? There's a bigger difference gap between us and God than there is between us and the animals. I thought this was interesting. All right. Now, the obvious point about the book of Job. Remember the book of Job? Is the world's greatest, it's, it's considered the world's greatest exploration of the problem of evil. All right. The point is that we just don't know what God is up to or why he does what he does. <laughs> Nobody can understand, but we will at the general judgment. We'll see how all of God's plans come together for the greater good. Well, Father, why can't I be told now? That's what faith and trust are about. Faith is that you have the belief. When you put that faith into action, a living faith, it's trust. What a hard lesson that we have on this earth, right? He says, lesson one, it's hard to learn that we are ignorant. In many ways, we are just infants. We know that we have to trust. We can't know all of God's reasons. We can't know this. But God has already given us a lot of the reasons. He lifted the curtain on the problem of evil and showed us his son. So don't think everything is hidden from you. The veil is lifted. Wait a minute, Father, where do I see the veil lifted? At the mass. The mass is the connection where the roof, Pope Benedict said, opens up and heaven and earth are united. And the veil is lifted. Isn't there a, there was a viral video that went around about a year or so ago called the veil lifted. 
Several people sent it to me. It's about the mass. Do you know, in fact, the meaning of the word apocalypse? The meaning of the book of Revelation, the book of the apocalypse, does not mean hurricanes, earthquakes, tornadoes. The word apocalypse means unveiling. So God has shown us a lot. Father, you keep saying it, we won't know to the general judgment. He has shown you a heck of a lot. He's unveiled salvation history through the cross, through his son. The greatest evil of the cross brought the greatest solution, the greatest good to the problem of evil, which is that our salvation. And remember, as I said, evil is the result of sin, which is the privation of good, which is a lack of God. Turn back to God. We have all the answers. All right, now here's something fascinating. I'm wrapping up here. I just got one page and a little bit for you extra notes to go. Can God use Satan to achieve his plan or is Satan nothing but an obstacle in the way of that plan? You might be surprised by this one. All sin, we said, traces its origin to the sin of Satan, which was what? Pride. Somebody else sent me an email saying, Father, I'm misleading everybody because I said the main sin is pride. Mary said in hell, most sins are there for impurity. What is impurity? Impurity is a selfishness, self-focus on my gratification. It's a form of pride. Pride is the king's sin. And so all sin traces its origin back to Satan, the fallen prince of angels, and that was pride. Scott Hahn goes on to deliver, and congratulations, his son Jeremiah was ordained a priest yesterday. So God bless him and the family. Scott Hahn says, the words deliver us from evil can be misunderstood in the translation. He said, in the Greek New Testament, there is a definite article before the word evil. So Jesus is actually saying to pray for deliverance from the evil. The evil one. So before the fall, Satan already refused to serve God and enticed a third of the angels to fall. Okay? They rebelled. And they fell. The devil now lives to oppose God's will because he was, he was facing the consequences of it. Remember the consequences of turning from God is your suffering. So now he tempts us that we may follow him into destruction. Why? Because we're the reason for his fall. Satan fell when it was announced that God was going to become one of us, a man. And Satan says, no, I'm not going to have anything to do with that because I'm an angel. I'm higher than a man. I'm created higher. I have a superior intellect. I, I'm, I'm greater. Yes, by nature, man is below the angel, but by grace, man was elevated above the angel. And that's what Satan had a problem with. So Satan fell because of man. So now he's declared war on man. All right. This is it. Yet his work, believe it or not, actually helps God. Whoa, Father, what are you saying? Well, okay, in what way? It's because his work is futile. All right, God's plan is going to be accomplished no matter what. Satan can't stop it. So in a way, the devil's work isn't completely futile. It is actually self-defeating for him 
He's never going to win. But when we resist his temptations that he keeps throwing at us, we go stronger in virtue and we gain divine life through grace. Even if we sometimes succumb to these empty promises, but then we return to God in sorrow and confession, we grow stronger. It's like weightlifting. When you lift weights, you tear the muscle down, but it's when it rebuilds when you sleep that it's stronger. And so even if you fall, but you get up, go to confession, confess and repent, and then try again, you're stronger, believe it or not. Father, that sounds crazy. No, this is the truth. This is why God allows us to fall. Don't get discouraged. Now, is it an excuse to fall? No. <laughs> you know, I, I hear a lot of sins of impurity in the confessional. And one of the things that I like to say to the people is remember, the words of a great saint said to resist one strong sexual temptation is to pass a greater test than even that faced by Satan and his demons at the time of the fall. So I'm not giving you that fact about you can fall and become stronger. Oh, hey, you know, uh, I'm going to fall tonight. Father Chris said, uh, that's a good thing. <laughs> no, no, I'm not saying that. I'm saying if you do, but you truly repent, you truly go back to confession, you truly are sorry, and you come back to God even stronger because you realize you need him more, then it's a good thing. But it's also good to resist those temptations. Satan tempting you, the more you resist, the stronger you're going to grow. So you're like that weightlifter. He's wanting to tear you down, but you're going to keep building up. This is amazing. And so don't get discouraged. All right? Let's not get discouraged. Now let's look at our next slide. This is John Paul II. Satan cannot block the construction of the kingdom of God. Indeed, we can say with St. Paul that the work of the evil one cooperates for the good. That's insane. No, it's not. See Romans 8.28. This is fascinating, isn't it? And that it helps to build up the glory of the chosen ones. Confer 2 Timothy 2.10. Holy mackerel. Father, this gives me some hope. This gives me some purpose. Nah, it's not coming from me. This is the teaching of the church. Let's look at our next slide. The book of Job. This is a famous one. The scriptures give us proof positive of this in the book of Job. The devil afflicts Job with disease and poverty, but he brutally takes the lives. And I should say, not but. And he brutally, the evil one, ends up taking the lives of Job's children and his livestock. Not Job. He doesn't kill Job. God didn't allow it. But the evil one wrecked havoc. But Job remained steadfast in his faith and in his godliness, even when his own wife was saying, give up on this God. Through the ordeal, Job grew in wisdom and proved his love for God when it seemed it was impossible. Today is Saint Rita, the saint of impossible causes. If you think your case is impossible, ask Saint Rita today. She is the amazing saint, one of my divine dozen. And so I'll ask her to intercede for you. Saint Rita, please, through the power invested in me in the priesthood, 
intercede for each and every one of these Marian helpers, these beautiful members of our Marian family, to help them persevere in what seems to be impossible causes for them. Whether it's addiction, pornography, drugs, whatever it might be, there is hope. This is what Job taught us. And how ironic that Satan was part of it. God can bring a greater good out of even the worst evil. You can't get worse evil than Satan. Even God can use him. Father, you're sounding crazy now. No, this is the teaching of the church. Job remained steadfast through this whole ordeal when it seemed impossible. And in the end, he was holier, wiser, and even richer than he had ever been before and happier. Who gets the credit? Should we give credit to the devil? No. Despite himself, God is using him. That's what we see about me. God, you're using me as a priest despite myself. Despite my brokenness, my wretchedness. But that's when united with God, I can become good. I can help. Let God use you. That's what surrender means. That's what surrender is actually about. Except for God, no one worked harder to bring holiness to Job than the devil did. <laughs> the devil was directly responsible. That sounds crazy. It's interesting because nobody wanted it less. Father, are you telling me the devil wanted Job to be holy? No, he didn't want him to be holy. It's the same for you. But this is an amazing story. So be vigilant, be aware. If Satan succeeds in tempting you to despair or commit mortal sin, we could consent and die the death of our soul, or we can repent, be enlivened, given sanctifying grace back again and survive. But if we like Job and more like Jesus, cling to our father, Rejecting Satan and all his works and all his pomps, we will be holier, wiser, and even richer in the end. Not richer money, just richer in spirit. And you're rich in spirit by detaching from things of the earth. Again, this does not mean that we should seek to do combat with the devil and take him on. Don't think you're going to become an exorcist. That takes years of training and unbelievable. You've got to go through the church. But basically... You don't want to engage him because he is an angel of the highest order. He has an intelligence far superior than yours or mine. On our own, we don't have the strength to defeat him. And he has brought the downfall of many. He has. So we have to pray for deliverance from Satan. Father Rippinger and others have great prayers out there. You can find them online. Pray for deliverance. Because we know we cannot defeat him one-on-one. -on -one. That's why we pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The only way our soul is lost is to die in an unrepentant state of mortal sin. So the answer to this whole thing, how to avoid hell, stay in a state of grace. Father, how do I stay in a state of grace? Confession and Holy Communion. It all goes back to the sacraments. This is why Jesus left us the sacraments. All right, let's look at a great quote here from Padre Pio. We're almost done. Padre Pio said, The devil is like a mad dog tied by a chain. Kind of like cameraman Giuseppe's dog. 
if you saw my video yesterday on will pets go to heaven, you see what Padre Pio was talking about. No, I'm just kidding. I actually know Giuseppe's Rocky. He is a great little dog. I'm just a little kidding there. Beyond the length of the chain, he cannot catch hold of anyone. And you, therefore, keep your distance. If you get too close, you will be caught. Remember, the devil has only one door with which to enter into our soul, our will. There are no secret hidden doors. No sin is a true sin if we not fully, willfully consented. Padre Pio. All right. But there's hope here. Father, you're giving all this negative. No. The hope is Jesus' mercy, the sacraments, confession, communion. Realizing that without him, we are broken in misery. With him, we, are, we can't fail. I'm going to summarize right now. Here we're ending up. We're going to be short or going to end up uh, finishing early today. Catechism 1033 through 1037 regarding hell. I'm going to summarize it all for you right now. These are just going to be bullets of summary that, that basically you want to see it more description. I talked about it over the last two talks. We cannot be united with God unless we freely choose to love him and our neighbor. This is why God gives us free will so we can choose that. Catholic teaching is that we are saved through God's grace, but we must cooperate with that grace. And how do we cooperate? Works of love. But we can't love God if we persist in sin. Try your best to break those chains. Go to the sacraments. Go to confession. Break the chain. Deliverance prayers. Our Lord warns us that we shall be separated from him if we keep falling to meet, failing to meet the serious needs of the poor and the little ones. This is the works of mercy. That's Matthew 25, works of love. We must take care of loving God and loving our neighbor. All right, last few paragraphs. To die in mortal sin without repenting and accepting God's merciful loves remains separating from him forever by our own free choice. You and you alone have the power to stop that. How to avoid hell? Choose God. This state of definitive self-exclusion from communion with God and the blessed is called hell. It's real. Jesus talked more about hell than heaven. Jesus mentioned Gehenna and hell more in scripture than heaven. Jesus often speaks of Gehenna as the unquenchable fire. Jesus solemnly proclaimed that, quote, he will send his angels and they will gather all evildoers and throw them into the furnace, into the furnace of fire. Matthew 13, 41. And that he will pronounce their condemnation, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire, Matthew 25, 41. Why am I saying this? Not to scare you, to get us on the right path. And we'll talk more about that in a minute to close. So revelation and the teaching of the church affirm the existence of hell and its eternity. Immediately after death, our souls are, die. We are judged. 
Now that's the time to get your prayers in, even years later. Ask for prayers to be given at that moment. Jesus says in paragraph 1486 of the diary of St. Faustina, he comes to the soul three times. He gives a chance to repent. Your, your prayers need to come in, even prayers from the future. Paragraph 1698, he says, when it looks like all hope is lost, it isn't because I give them a chance. But you need to pray for them so that they will say yes. Mary said, many souls go to hell because there's nobody to pray for them. You can make a difference. So when we die, if we die in a state of mortal sin, unrepent mortal sin, we're lost to hell, which is the eternal fire. What is that chief punishment of hell? It's eternal separation from God in whom alone man can possess life and happiness for which we were created. So if you take away the very reason for which you were created, you really don't exist in the fullness of how you should exist. You become misery. This all calls for us to be aware of the power of our free will. Our free will determines our eternal destiny. So every time before you make a choice, say a little prayer. Every morning, get up, make a morning offering, say, God, help me in all my choices today for the choices to lead me to eternal life in heaven. Let's look at, we only have a couple slides to go. Let's look at this. This is also a call to conversion. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few who find it. Matthew 7. And remember last talk, the first episode of this series of hell, I explained that. So you might want to go back to that. God predestines nobody to hell. We do believe in predestination to heaven, but not to hell. We don't believe in double predestination as Catholics. A willful turning away from God, a moral, mortal sin, and dying in that state will lose our soul. And persistence in it until the end will lose your soul. What's the only unforgivable sin? Lying, stealing, murder, abortion? No. If you're sorry and you repent, you're forgiven of all that. There's only one unforgivable sin, the sin against the Holy Spirit. What is that final impenitence? What is final impenitence? Denying God to the end. Refusing to repent. I don't need God. I don't want anything to do with this. Don't give me a priest. Don't send me the sacraments. I hate the church. Well, you hate the church, Jesus said to Paul. If you're persecuting the church, you're persecuting me. Jesus said that. So, here's the key. You want to avoid hell? Love and humility. What's the fruits of that? You don't despair. You don't be presumptuous. Avoid those two ends of the spectrum. Despair are those people who say, no matter what I do, I'm damned. God can't love me. I'm too big a sinner. No, God's mercy is greater than any sin. Don't despair. On the flip side, don't be presumptuous. I had friends in college that every single Friday night would hook up with a different girl. Then every single Saturday morning, they go to confession. They knew they were going to do that. Now, I'm not saying if it was out of weakness and you're trying and you're trying and you're trying and you fall into it, then you got to go to confession again. Yes, I've been a broken record in the confessional myself. 
but he planned it that way. Just sleep with this girl on Friday, go to confession on Saturday. Sleep with this girl the next Friday, go to confession on Saturday. It's got on my calendar. <laughs> no, does not work that way. So this is important. Don't be presumptuous saying, no matter what I do, God won't ever send me to hell. No, he won't. You will though. Your choices will. So this sounds hard, but there is hope. There is hope. It's called God's mercy in the liturgy, in the mass, in our daily prayers of the faithful. The church implores the mercy of God who does not want, quote, this is in our liturgy, any to perish, but all to come to repentance. Second Peter 3, 9. But remember, we do know there are souls in hell that have chosen this. Universalism that no souls will ever go to hell is a heresy. Don't be one of those who don't listen to this call. Rather, turn to God's mercy. It's the answer. See our slide right here. The image of divine mercy. That's the face of the Father's mercy. This is the answer to everything. Jesus said mankind's last hope of salvation is divine mercy. This is awesome. And we're going to be starting a new program on EWTN. I'll be hosting from here at the Shrine coming in September. Stay tuned. It's going to be called Living Divine Mercy. And Jesus said, if you don't pass through the doors of my mercy, you must pass through the doors of my justice. As I always say, I don't know about you, but I'm not getting through the doors of justice. I need the doors of mercy. Now is the time for mercy. If anything I have said to you today scares you, one part of me says, I'm sorry, but the other part of me says, good, if it gets you on the right track. Not scaring you just to scare you for the purpose of scaring you. That's not our goal. So scare is a wrong word. If it helps to correct you, praise be to God. Praise be to God. Now is the time for mercy. Turn to him now. Jesus says, after this will come the time of justice. Right now, he's giving us complete time of mercy. We can be completely forgiven of everything. The sacraments, you have them right there. You don't have to fear hell. Go to confession, receive Holy Communion. You don't fear hell if you have a contrite heart. Now, it's not a magic wand. I can just do whatever I want. That's presumption. So all of this, God's mercy is the answer. And I explain all of this. We're done now. I just want to finish up on the slides with a chance. If you want to go deeper, you can get my new book. It's called Understanding Divine Mercy. People say, well, Father, you can't understand divine mercy. Why do you say that? No, Jesus said we can't understand him in his essence, but we can come to know God by his attributes. And his greatest attribute is mercy. You don't have to fear Fear is a tool of Satan. Well, Father, you just said it was good we scared you. I said, no, scare is not the proper word. It's good that we correct you. And sometimes the only way to correction for some people is fear. That's why one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is a holy fear of God. Ah, got you on that one. <laughs> a holy fear of God. That's what I'm talking about. Not scared. So I know I'm going to get, I know I'm going to get a ton of letters saying, Father, fear is of the devil. How dare you say that it was good you did that? No, no, no. One of the fruits of the Holy Spirit is fear of God, a holy reverential fear so that we get on the right track. 
That's what we're talking here. And if you have that and you do that and you ask for the mercy of God, you have nothing to fear. That's the answer. Mercy. So this book you can get, if Mark can show it back up again, you can get it for any donation. It's called Understanding Divine Mercy. You can get it at thedivinemercy.org slash UDM for Understanding Divine Mercy or call Peter. He's in today. He's in the office today at 1-800. I'm sorry, um, uh, Peter's uh, for the pilgrimage. I'm sorry. You can call for the book at 800-462-7426. To get a copy of the book. There are operators standing on by. That's what I should have said. And finally, you know what? Join our family. We want you to be part of our family. Next slide is micprayers.org. Become a Marian helper. It takes 10 seconds. There is no cost. All we ask you to do is pray for us so we can pray for you. That's what it's all about. Be a Marian helper and subscribe to our YouTube channel here. Well, if you say, well, I don't want to be married help a father, well, at least subscribe to our channel because this channel allows us the more subscribers, YouTube will put it out to more people as a preview to view. And that's where we are finding souls. So many souls are writing to us that they're coming back to the church. They're coming back to the sacraments. Praise be God. The only reason that we are able to do what we do as Marian fathers is because you have subscribed and you are watching. Do you think I could get Brother Mark to come here every Saturday and sit here and do this if we weren't getting people to watch? If there weren't people watching, this would have been canceled a long time ago. But praise be to God, you're watching. And that's why we want you to be part of our Marian family. Visit micprayers.org. And finally, <laughs> one last thing. I'll be doing a pilgrimage coming up in October. Uh, the 14th through the 24th of this year with Stephen Ray, one of the greatest uh, apologists, a good friend of mine. We're going to be following in the footsteps of Paul. This is what Peter's in today. I'm sorry for. You can call Peter at 413-298-1303. If you want to get a slot in this pilgrimage, I would love to meet you. I would, I love nothing more than meeting our Marian helpers meeting you, talking with you, having dinner with you. If you want to come on this, it's a cruise. It's in Greece. It's opened up now. Um, we're good. We're looking great. Please join us on this if you would like. Also, too, if you'd rather a land uh, uh, um, pilgrimage uh, on uh, June 20th of next year, 2022 through July 2nd, I'll be going with Deacon Harold Silvers, fabulous guy, um, great, great guy. We'll be leading a pilgrimage to the shrines of France. So we'll be at Lourdes, we'll be at just some great places. So please join us if you want. You can visit marion.org slash pilgrimages or call Peter, who's in today, at 413-298-1303. God bless you for being part of our Marian family. We're grateful that you are with us and that we're continuing this journey to seminary. You are getting a seminary education better than some priests because this is all stuff that I have taken. I've gone to theologians. I got some great help from my staff like Chris Sparks and other people on my staff that have helped me to be able to give you sure and pure church teaching. So God bless all of you. And we hope that you'll continue to come to back to seminary with us through this series. And we bless you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen and God bless you.
Please follow or subscribe to this podcast to receive the latest episodes and updates. If you have been blessed by this podcast, I invite you to leave a review. Reviews greatly improve our podcast ranking and will help spread this podcast to other people throughout the world. Are you enjoying this podcast? I invite you to listen to more shows brought to you by the Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception. Join us daily for enriching spiritual content, which will help you on your journey with Jesus Christ. Simply visit DivineMercyPlus.org for a complete list of our shows. That's DivineMercyPlus.org. Are you a Marian Helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily Masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you.